For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. It is Thursday, August 3rd. It's been a while since we checked in on Warner Brothers Discovery, the high wire act of entertainment and media companies. Listeners of this show will recall these are the former Warner Media assets that AT&T smashed together with Discovery last year with $50 billion of debt under the leadership of David Zaslaw, who was last seen getting booed at Boston University and posing for Champagne Spawn Con at Cannes in the middle of a devastating strike. Now, HBO, the Warner Brothers Studio, and CNN are together with HGTV, TLC, and as of May, they're all in the streaming service Max, formerly known as HBO Max. Today, Zaslav reappeared, no mirrored sunglasses this time, and the company released its latest earnings numbers. They missed expectations on revenue. We can thank the Flash debacle for that. And the advertising market is still down, which hurts TV. But their free cash flow is up, the debt was down, and the ongoing strike led to about $100 million in cost savings. What I was most interested in was the first glimpse of how Max is doing. The numbers are okay, not great, kind of great. Remember, Discovery Plus and HBO Max were combined, so a lot of the Discovery customers that already had HBO Max churned out, even though Discovery still exists as a standalone service. The company has about 96 million global subs across HBO Max and Discovery Plus. That's an overall loss of 1.8 million subscribers this quarter, but better than expected. And the financial loss in the direct-to-consumer unit was just $3 million, which is way down from the $558 million loss a year ago. It probably would have been profitable if not for the costs associated with the Max relaunch. So is that good? And where does Max place in the realigned streaming wars as all these companies now want to balance subscriber growth with bringing down the cost of competing? I asked Rich Greenfield, the analyst from Lightshed Partners, to come back on the show. He's a longtime observer of Zaslav and the Warner assets, and he's been following the financials of Warner Discovery pretty closely. The company is worth about half what it was when Zaslav took over last year, though the stock price is up about 30% this year. A lot of mixed signals. So today it's a check-in on Warner Brothers Discovery and the service formerly known as HBO Max. We'll get into a little of the Disney stuff, too. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners. Welcome back, returning champion on the show. Love being back. Anytime you call, I jump. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about Warner Discovery today and the Max service, but I got to ask you, first of all, as a Disney obsessive, what do you make of this news that I reported on Sunday in my Puck newsletter about Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, the former heirs apparent to Bob Iger, now coming back to consult 
with the company on what to do with ESPN and some of the linear networks? Disney's in a really tough spot. I mean, you heard it from Iger, right? This is worse than he expected. I'm not sure why it's worse. It's pretty obvious that it, it, this is a pretty tough industry right now. Linear TV is in secular decline. Advertising, cable network, affiliate fees like are going down. Um, a lot of movies, you know, we all talk about the few movies that work like Barbie and obviously last year, Top Gun, but most movies are not working. Like that's the story that no one's really writing is that a lot of these movies are just not performing. Some aren't. You're right. Not, I wouldn't say most, but it's definitely become tougher to squeak out a hit. You can't just do the playbook and expect to get to profitability. When you think about the number of billion dollar films this year relative to 2019, you're at a far smaller number. That is true. And so the cost of making these movies is up and the profitability is way down because you're just not getting the box office. You don't have the DVD. Like, the streaming is not generating the type of dollars. And so uh, overall, I think a per film profitability is down a lot. There's notable exceptions like Jason Blum, who's crushing it. Like you can find examples that are crushing it. Obviously, a lot of universal films have done incredibly well this year. Barbie obviously will do incredibly well. But I do think that the issue for Disney specifically answering your question is their franchises are tired. They overuse them in TV. Nothing feels special anymore. And so here you have Iger came back and he doesn't have a lot of the close lieutenants that he relied on in the past. Alan Braverman, their general counsel, gone. Christine McCarthy now gone. Um, Kevin Mayer gone. Tom Stagg's gone. Yeah. And, and when Mayer was running direct to consumer, he actually got rid of a lot of the strategy group, um, which I think is now coming home to roost. So I think you have a lot of people that are gone. And so I think that probably plays part of the role in here of looking to people that have helped him in the past. And Kevin's a great deal maker. And maybe he overspent by a few tens of billions on, on the Fox acquisition. <laughs> well, he was forced to by Comcast, which kept running it up. But look, Kevin was instrumental in Lucas, Marvel, Pixar. Like Those are huge deals that were transformative. Like I think that's the key point. Those transformed the Walt Disney Company. But now he's being asked essentially to consult on making the company smaller. Correct. And I think it's because there's an increasing acknowledgement from not just from Bob Iger, but I think across the industry, the linear TV business is not going to get better, Matt. There was a lot of people earlier in this year that said, oh, just wait till the second half of the year. Advertising is going to get better. We'll get past this recession fear and linear TV advertising will get better. Well, you know what, Matt? There is no recession in the US. And guess what? Linear TV is not getting better. I get it, but it's still $3 billion in profit last year. $3 billion in profit. Those sure. are numbers that Netflix would love to have in profit. Well, I think from, from that standpoint, there's no doubt that the legacy media businesses were extremely profitable, but they're now in decline. And unfortunately, most of these companies have decided to take all of that amazing profit that you just talked about, and they're torching it in streaming. <laughs> torching it based on Wall Street and guys like you who said, are you all in? Good luck bundle. Are you all in? For years, you said that. The reality is very few of them have gone all in, right? And the problem is they don't have the stomach for going all in. We told them to choose a path, either be like Sony, which is an arms dealer, mm -hmm. don't get involved. And 
you look at Tony Vinciquera and Tom Rothman, and they're laughing all the way to the bank. Like they are crushing it. Anyone who wants to see an amazing strategy, look at what they've done, fixing that business, skinning it down, getting rid of cable networks, like literally just becoming a content engine that supplies content to everyone. That's a great business. The streaming, going all in and putting all of your marbles into streaming and going all in, it's a great strategy, but it takes a lot of willpower, a lot of financial resources, and none of these companies have been willing to do that. Like Disney's gotten the closest, right? They got the closest and they were moving in that direction. And now they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. This is obviously, it's killing the balance sheet. You yeah. can't actually get enough traction. We're going to start licensing to third parties. I mean, look, David Zaslav was the first person to sound the alarm and, and change direction. But my point is it could have worked. Like you could get to the other side. I don't think these companies have the stomach because they have all of their profits going down on the linear business and they don't have the wherewithal to jump over that chasm of losses. They can't do it. And so they're all scaling back. I think when we saw that the Shangri-La of 500 million subscribers worldwide was not realistic in the short term, that's when everybody freaked out. That's when the market freaked out. And that's when the realism set in and said, oh, wait, maybe all of this spending isn't justified if we are going to have a hard time getting to that number. Well, look, I think in many ways it was the mistake Reed Hastings made. I don't think Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos and now Greg Peters, like I think this team, they never anticipated the legacy media companies would lose a billion dollars in a quarter. Peacock was supposed to lose a billion dollars max ever, not $3 billion a year. Right. <laughs> right. Like, so that was the mistake Netflix made. Now they're seeing the other side of it. Now they're seeing everyone scale back. People are starting to sell them content who didn't want to sell them content. My question to you, Matt, is once you've realized you can't go all in, why not just stop completely? Like, why, why is there even a max overseas? Like, I get why there's an HBO and a max in the US, but why even try to be global? Why is there a Paramount Plus overseas? Like, once you're not going to be global, Maybe you should just be in the licensing business and you should be more of an arms dealer and not try to compete because trying to compete half in is really hard. That's the question that every company is grappling with. And it's hard to say this is the future and we are not going to be a part of it. That's a really tough thing to say. Global streaming services are the future. Netflix has shown that it can work and that you can get to profitability. So if you fashion yourself as a global media company, how do you not have a global streaming service? Here's a really interesting thought exercise. One of the powers of the Walt Disney Company is that it creates its content and it's seen on the widest platforms in the world. So like you release it in movie theaters, right? Why? Because movie theaters are super wide. Part of the problem with releasing it on Disney Plus was not many people saw it because you only have a service where you know, 40 million people in the U.S., you know, 100 million people outside of, you know, they have some of these free subs in India, but like you don't have a hundreds of millions of, of subscriber reach. And so the question is, if you only put content onto a small streaming platform, I don't care whether you're Peacock or Disney Plus, do you actually hurt the value of the content because you're not getting it the broad reach? Like think about the NFL. If you are Roger Goodell, what do you care most about? You want to be on broadcast TV because reach is so critical People have to see your content. If you're on a small platform, do you get that reach? And I think that's sort of the question is, if the Marvel content, so take Secret Invasion, 
They spent $35 million. I don't know if you reported or someone reported. I think it was like $32 million an episode. Did it make sense for that to only be available on Disney Plus? Would it have been better off if they put that onto Netflix first, exposed it to two? <laughs> They're never going to do that. Just, just, just listen to me. Okay. Bear with me. I know this sounds batshit crazy, but just stay with me. Movie goes into a theater, exposes to the world, and then shows up and has its storage in the vault on Disney+. Plus. Imagine a series shows up on Netflix or shows up on Amazon, gets much broader reach because it has broader reach and has far wider than just Marvel, Lucas, and Pixar fans, but reaches a far wider demographic and then ends up living for perpetuity on Disney+. Plus. Like, Could it be more of the vault where everything goes versus where things start. I know they're probably not going to go there. Yeah, that I mean, the difference is, is that Netflix is a direct competitor in that space, whereas putting a movie in theaters worldwide, Disney is not in the theater business. They are partners with Exhibition. You're essentially asking them to treat Netflix like Exhibition. Right, but think about what Disney does. They sell merchandise, they sell theme park tickets. Disney's, the struggle they're having now in merchandise is because content isn't working, right? And so the, the question is, would content work better if it was on a wider reach platform? And that's a question every one of these media companies needs to be thinking about is, are they damaging? Like, would the office be more valuable on a wider platform than Peacock? Does Friends help Max? Sure. But would Friends be a more valuable piece of IP? And it's actually an interesting topic for the writer's strike the Screen Actors Guild right now with these strikes that are going on, are you actually harming the value of these properties by putting them onto platforms that don't have reach? Okay, but then that's like saying that, you know, Fox should have never had a linear broadcast network and should have just made shows for the others. The point was they built up their own linear broadcast network, which ultimately had tremendous value. And if you believe that you can replicate that model in streaming, then there's no reason Disney shouldn't put Secret Invasion on Disney Plus and try to increase the value proposition of Disney Plus, which will ultimately help the company more in the long term. If Disney can get to hundreds of millions of subscribers around the world, I absolutely agree with you. I think that's the question is, so which of these platforms? I think we'll both agree Peacock is never going to have hundreds of millions of subscribers around true. the world. That is true. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. 
With the Power's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Let's talk about Max. Because Max is at what? 96 million subscribers, if you include HBO and Discovery. That's not nothing. It's certainly not Netflix. It's not Amazon Prime Video. It's not even Disney. But Warner Discovery believes that Max can be a global service. And I wonder if this first quarter... I actually, of- I actually disagree. I actually disagree. I, oh, think they are already, I think they're already telling you there are markets they're in where they realize they probably shouldn't be. As a standalone, you think it'd be better for them to sell off their content like HBO used to do. I think you're going to see them do that in more markets. Like, will they have Max in some international markets? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think there's places where they think it's strategic given their existing presence that they have. But I actually think you're going to see Max take a very different approach than even Disney's taken. And I think you're going to see them be a licensor in more markets overseas. To me, that just raises the obvious question of like, once you're licensing out of the US, like, why don't you do it in all the markets outside the US? Like, do you really need to be in this business overseas if you don't have that global scale? Well, to me, what it says is that Warner Discovery is a short-term play, a cash-strapped company, and they will take the check now, even if it means sacrificing the greater good long-term. Well, I don't think that's a new strategy. I mean, in some ways, if you think about the decisions that were made, let's go back to HBO originally, right, where they licensed their content to Sky. Like, there is no HBO in the UK, right? It's Sky Atlantic. Right. But that was back when the notion of a global television network was not feasible. Now, with Netflix and with digital distribution, it is feasible. So if Netflix can do it, why shouldn't the premium brand in television be able to do it? It's really hard. Building a direct-to-consumer streaming business, I think you're seeing, Matt, it is hard. Because remember, it's right. It's not just about getting a sub, like especially as we get into advertising. Once you are doing advertising, a sub is not a sub anymore because you actually care about watch time. Like how much time you watch drives the ad dollar. Yeah, that's killing Disney Plus because Disney Plus has a huge value proposition to families like mine that just like having all those movies. But the amount of time we spend actually watching Disney Plus not nearly what we watch Netflix and even Max. Correct. And so that's a real problem for these services is that they don't have the level of regular engagement. And I think as we start to pivot and the market starts to think about profitability, you stop thinking less about subs and you start thinking about, okay, how do you drive time spent? Okay, so that gets us to the Max rebrand. That was the whole point of HBO Max with Discovery. The question I have for you is, is it working? One quarter in, we just got the results from this quarter. Is the Max rebrand working? Well, you saw relatively minimal churn. So like sort of rebrand, jamming in the discovery content. I mean, when you open up the Max app and you see content, I mean, I'm opened it up while we're talking. And the third thing in terms of the hero page that takes over, you know, the home screen, when you open up the app, you know, you swipe left two times and you've got diners and drive-ins, right? Like you didn't have Guy Fieri six months ago. He didn't exist on the HBO Max app. Right, And and the churn 
some of these discovery customers that also had Macs, those people are going to churn out because now they don't need both services. So they That's had what an, I'm saying. But they had an overall loss of 1.8 million subscribers this quarter, which was actually better than a lot of people thought that they would have. That's what I'm saying. Like, there wasn't a lot of churn. I don't know if you've used Max yourself. I've been I using do. it. I do. I use it all the time. But I don't watch drive-ins and drive-throughs. I, I watch HBO content just like I always did in the Warner movies. I don't think that the Discovery content has dramatically changed engagement on the app. I think it adds more content overall. Well, no, J.B. Peretti, the, the head of streaming for the company, he said in June in an interview that 20% of titles watched on Max are from Discovery. Now, that's not minutes viewed. That's not engagement right. time. That's 20% of titles. But it's not nothing. I, mean, I actually thought maybe it would be more. But I guess the value in Discovery is that you know 90 Day Fiance just chews up hours and hours and hours of time. Look, they need to figure out better recommendation. I mean, when you open it up, it's basically like a fresh start, right? Like this is totally new and how they recommend and how they understand. I mean, we're still in the first, you know, few months of this launch. As you use it more and as I use it more, it should become a lot more personalized. The dropping of the HBO in the name which got a lot of shit. And Kara Swisher said that, you know, Twitter becoming X was the worst rebrand since Max. And a lot of people really, really came down hard on them for getting rid of the HBO. I was a little bit more understanding. I get it that HBO has a ceiling that as many people as that love HBO, there's some that that signals that it's not for them. But hold on, let's keep it simpler. Mm -hmm. Let's give David some credit. Having HBO on TV and then HBO Max on streaming and them being different services and like, it was just confusing. So we could debate what you should have done and how to fix that. I mean, look at what CBS did or what Paramount did, right? Like they just killed the Showtime streaming experience. Like there's still Showtime on your TV, but like it's now doesn't exist as a standalone brand other than inside of Paramount. I don't know the right answer. or yes, what. But the- Showtime is not HBO. HBO means something so much more to so many more people and was a lure for a lot of people to subscribe. Now, I get it. It's still there. It's not like it went away. It's just a hub. It's like a Marvel or whatever now. And I get that's why I thought it was kind of smart. But I do hear the people that are like, what? Like, what what happened to my HBO? Look, I don't know whether this was the best idea or not. I think the ultimate story, though, is when you want to watch Euphoria, when you want to watch Last of Us, when you want to watch House of Dragons season two, you're going to go to the Max app. You're going to go to HBO on linear. Like, I don't think consumers are struggling to figure out where to get their HBO. And so could the brand be managed differently or better? Sure. But you know what? Hits evaporate that. Like nobody cares. Everybody knows they get EPL on Peacock. Does Peacock mean anything to anybody? No, it doesn't. But they know where to get EPL. They go to Peacock on Saturday mornings. Yes. Oh, listen, my my seven-year-old told me this morning that the Super Mario Brothers movie is now on Peacock. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it is. How did you know that? He's like, it's on Peacock, Dad. It's on Peacock. That's exactly my point. Good content must have content, whether it's great entertainment content, whether it's sports. You will figure this out. Is it super easy? Is it intuitive? No, obviously it's not. And in a perfect world, it just would have been called HBO and we all could have you know, accepted that. But I think there was real strategic reasons in terms of the ceiling that you just talked about, or at least their perception of it, that it was a problem. And look, remember, 
there are still, think about historically, right? HBO for years only had 35 million subscribers. You are not one of those people who never subscribed to HBO, but most of the country did not. I mean, a lot, some people even bought them on DVDs, but they weren't HBO subscribers. So I think it's very hard for the two of us to give a rant about whether HBO was the right name or not. I think you have to sort of talk to the people who never watch HBO and what does HBO mean to them and what did that brand do or not do? The other thing that stuck out to me today is he confirmed that they are going to put news and sports on the Max service. He said it's going to be amazing. It's coming soon. Did not give a timetable. What do you make of this and what does the CNN brand look like on streaming if you cannot put the actual CNN content on Max? I just feel like news is a rounding error. Like, is anyone turning is it on? Though? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it, I, I know you're a, in the news. I know, I know. you're in the news okay. business. But that could be a differentiator for Max. I mean, do you think that I mean, Netflix doesn't have news meaningfully? And Hold you know, Peacock has NBC Peacock, now. Peacock has lots of news. I mean, you can watch Squawk Box, CNBC on, Very true. on it in the morning. And I think that's ultimately what CNN will look like on Max. You can't have the actual CNN programming, but maybe you have the CNN international feed. Maybe you have cheap news content that is made by the same people. Maybe you have a couple of shows a day that actually are dual stream, and that's enough that doesn't trip the agreements. Like, I think there'll be some stuff that actually appears or some related content that appears. But I would think if you look at what has happened with Paramount and Peacock, and again, maybe they're not the best examples, Mm -hmm. but Paramount and Peacock would say nobody literally Nobody subscribes to those services for news, but people watch 60 Minutes. I do. I watch 60 Minutes Plus. Yeah, it's a show. It's just like anything else. It adds more content. It broadens the service. It reuses something they already have. I just don't think these are big needle movers. The bigger problem that all of these services have is they are still, and this is whether we're talking Max, Peacock, Paramount Plus, even Disney Plus and Hulu. They don't have a lot of viewership and they all need to figure out. You probably need fewer of them, right? We probably need consolidation, whether Disney, Hulu, obviously, you saw what, you know, I mean, Max and Discovery. I mean, everyone's starting, everyone understands they need to consolidate. We may need another step of consolidation, but they all need more watch time because watch time is what allows you to raise price. It allows you to drive ad dollars. Like if you don't have watch time, you don't have the ability to make this into a great business. Getting to break even is ridiculous. Like that shouldn't be the goal. The goal is how you make this a 20, 30% margin business. Hmm. And the only way you're going to do that is at far higher ARPU, whether that comes from subscription price Revenue increases or advertising. User. But either one of them, if you're not watching something, Matt, you're not paying more for it. Yeah. Or it could be like the cable bundle where you're paying more for it and not watching. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's not happening anytime soon. I don't think I don't think that works in streaming because it's too easy to go yes, like this. I agree. Click off. Or you could if you're Zaslav, you could just sell off CNN. Um first, how much do you think the Chris Lick experiment and you know the strategy for CNN has decreased the value of that asset? And who do you think would buy it if they sold it? I think CNN is a great asset that should mm-hmm. be sold. It's yeah. it's actually one of the only businesses, and I think Jason Kylar actually sort of understood this. It could live on its own, right? If you think about it, the sub fees of CNN, like I think he was doing CNN Plus to sort of transition CNN into it over time, much like ESPN's doing ESPN Plus to merge ESPN, sort of like a life raft for the future. But if you think about it, the sub fees of, of CNN are very low, like a dollar, dollar fifty. Like 
you could imagine it's very hard when you have ESPN at 10 or $11 a month, you know, making that D to C means you have to charge $30, $40 a month for it. Right. Yeah. And you're only charging a dollar, dollar fifty. Could you charge $4 for CNN direct to consumer? Like there is a business. If somebody were to buy CNN, and I think it would end a lot of headaches for WBD. I don't know why Zaslov wants the news headache. I don't think it helps. Going back to your question on Max, it's not critical to Max. And I think there's somebody out there that would look at $800, $900 million of cash flow and a low sub fee and go, hey, this could be a building block for the future and a D2C future. You could actually make this business work for news on a scaled global basis. Um, I don't know. You definitely have the brand. The brand is meaningful everywhere. I agree. Correct. All right, Rich, we could go on forever, but we are limited in time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, what does the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise mean to you? You know, sadly, it means nothing to me. <laughs> it doesn't mean a whole lot to me either. I remember what about your son? Vi- well, that's the thing. is We went to the premiere. They did like a family day premiere thing last weekend at Paramount. And we went to that. And I didn't really mean much to me. I played the video game when I was a kid. But like the movies were just kind of whatever. He was into it, though. And he had seen some of the YouTube videos. He effing loved the movie. Like loved it. I understand why kids like it. it. It's like a great idea. It's like visually very fun. And I also didn't realize that the last two that came out, the ones in 2016 and 2014 that Michael Bay produced, made a lot of money. Yeah. No, they always do well. And this one is Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's company. So they definitely bring that sensibility to it. There's a lot of like pop culture references and some, you know, gross out humor. It's definitely fun. Um, my kid loved it. So I'm actually, my prediction, I'm going to, I'm going to take the over. The, Tracking is $35 million for the five-day. It actually opened on Wednesday. This movie has a 95 rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Great movie for young boys. There, has to, <laughs> there hasn't been one in a while, right? No. With Transformers, kind of, but uh, which my kid also liked. But, uh, I'm, so I'm going to take the over on that. But we actually have two movies this weekend openings, two big ones. Meg 2, The Trench, which uh, I'm sure is the Godfather Part 2 of giant CGI shark movies. What a come down from Barbenheimer that now it's the Meg 2 and the Ninja Turtles. Well, it's August. This is kind of what you get. The first Meg did very well, did like more than 300 million worldwide. So I, I actually, I, I understand why they did a sequel. Uh, Jason Statham is back. But I think this one actually will get run over by Barbenheimer. I think a lot of the people that would have seen this are still going to Oppenheimer and Barbie. So I, I'm going to take the under. The tracking is about $30 million. I'm going to take the under on that. I believe the plot is this time they hunt in packs. There's a pack of Megs. Oh, I thought it was just that the Meg is bigger. No, I think it's a pack of them. By I the way, the I, was, I, I misspoke. The worldwide gross on the Meg was $530 million. This movie made, shark movie. <laughs> this movie made half a billion dollars in 2018. Um, and I do not think it's going to get anywhere near there. But um, you know what? There's always a market for this stuff. This is like, you know, late summer schlock, more power to them. The budget, I think, on, on this one is still in the like 130 range, 140. So wow. uh, they got to make they got to make some money, but they probably will make their money back. And uh, I don't know. I'm not. Are you excited for the Meg? No, it's bordering on like based on the trailer, because I didn't see the first one, but it seems almost in the final destination range where it's like it knows what it is. And it's like, oh, silly. oh the first one knew what it was. Okay. They definitely know what it is. 
it, it, it is it is absolutely winking at you throughout the entire movie, but it just sort of doesn't feel as interesting or fresh this time. It's just kind of more of the same. Yeah. How many times can you see a giant CG shark like biting someone's head off? Well, apparently a lot. So we'll <laughs> apparently see. Apparently a lot. Yeah. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Rich Greenfield, producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Justin Lopez. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.